Well, good morning, friends, and welcome to our 11 o'clock service on this, the third Sunday of the season of Lent. Welcome to those of you who are in the room, uh, to the many more we know who are joining us online. It's good to worship God together on this day. Uh, my name's James Howell. I'm one of the pastors here. I look around, some of you are visiting with us. Uh, we are just honored that you have come, and we hope you come back. We hope you leave us some contact information so we can just get acquainted, uh, learn about one another. That, I would really uh, value that so highly. Uh, I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Jessica Dason. Good morning. It's good to be together. Friends, I hope that you will take a moment to look over our This Week at Myers Park that's tucked inside your bulletin. It has everything that's going on in the life of the church today and to come, um, but make sure you check that out. There are ways to get involved. Um, and we're happy to help you with that if you are searching for a place. I also want to take a moment and highlight a special event that we have coming up on the 20th um, with author Karen Gonzalez. She is the author of Beyond Welcome. Um, Dr. Howell actually had her on his podcast. Make sure you check that out. That's a great little preview. Um, but I hope that you'll join us on Monday the 20th at 7 o'clock in Jubilee Hall. Um, it'll be a wonderful time together as we learn and reflect on on what true welcome looks like. Friends, it is good to be together. Let us continue on in worship.
family of God, let us join our voices now as we profess our faith through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. It is our uh, great privilege this morning to celebrate the sacrament of holy baptism. Uh, Emily and Eric Bukovac bring their son, Bennett Stephen, and Lisa and Jenner Kaiser bring their son, James Rollins. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. Friends, on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to renounce evil and repent of your sin? If so, say we do. Do you confess Christ as your savior, put your trust in his grace and promise to serve him as your Lord? If so, say we do. And will you nurture these children in Christ's holy church that by your teaching and example, they may be guided to accept God's grace for themselves, profess their faith openly and lead a Christian life? If so, say we will. And will you, members of Myers Park United Methodist Church, include these families now before you in your care? Will you proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ? Will you surround these families with a community of love and forgiveness that they may grow in their service to others? And will you pray for them that they may be disciples who walk in the way that leads to life? If so, say we will. Friends, let us pray. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. When you saw your people as captives in Egypt, you delivered them through the sea. Their children you brought into the promised land through the Jordan. In the fullness of time, you sent your son Jesus. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. And he calls on his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection. Pour out your Holy Spirit now to bless this gift of water and those who receive it, to wash away their sin and clothe them in righteousness throughout their lives, that dying and being raised with Christ, they may share in your final victory. All praise to eternal Father through your Son, Jesus Christ, who with you in the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Bennett Stephen Bukovac, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
James Rollins Kaiser, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, therefore let your light so shine before others that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Children of God, as you grow in age, may you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We rejoice to welcome you to the family of God. Friends, we worship a God who knows everything about us. So let us now release the things to God that keep us from knowing God's love fully. Please join me in the prayer of confession that's found in your bulletin. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, too hidden even to realize, and too deep to undo. Forgive what we hesitate to name, what our hearts can no longer bear. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow into your likeness through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The Gospel reading is John, chapter 4, beginning with the fifth verse. So he came to a city of Samaria, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that you are saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. 
Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and he whom you now have is not your husband. This you said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such the Father seeks to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Christ is coming. When he comes, he will show us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but none said, why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the city and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of your words that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. I um, I love the Bible. You know, you have to admit it's it's a it's a hard book. It's weird. It's difficult to read. It can be confusing. It's got so much dumb stuff in it. Uh, but then there are encounters like this, and you read about this encounter, and it's so um, tender, so intimate, so hopeful, so honest. So anyway. I just love it. Uh, Jesus' uh, story begins, he's thirsty. Jesus shares in our needs, our wants. He's been on a long journey, and as you and I would be, he's parched with thirst. Uh, he needs things like to do. Jesus has just been on a very long journey on foot, and uh, John 4 says, this is so interesting, it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria, and to you that probably doesn't mean much, you know, if I said to you, if you're going to Knoxville, you have to go through Asheville. And you'd go, well, of course, if you're going to Knoxville, you have to go through. We had a visitor, by the way, this was so cool, who said, I'm from Knoxville. And I said, you're in the sermon this morning. <laughs> that worked out. So you'd say, oh, of course, you go through Asheville. But, but if you're going where Jesus was going, you'd say he had to go through Samaria. People say, mm, I don't think so. That's the long way around. That's the hardest possible way to go. You don't go through Samaria. Young Kim and I have traveled this road. Uh, years ago, I took uh, young clergy. Uyan used to be one, but he's kind of passed on that now. <laughs> I took young clergy to Israel, and we went there. I knew young can testify. The way to get to Samaria, we got vehicles now. A long, windy, rocky, difficult road. It takes forever to get to Samaria. And today it's almost worse because you have West Bank tensions. It's near this, it's at the city of Nablus that's always in the news, but it was tense back in Jesus' day as well. He had to go through Samaria, the, the Greek word translated had is day, and it's a word that doesn't mean like you have to, but it's not travel convenience, it's really divine necessity. Jesus had a divine necessity, like he had to go to Samaria. There was work to do there, there was a woman to meet there, there were other people to meet there. So as people say to me, it's hard for me to find God, I always wonder about the opposite, is it hard for God to get to you? 
Is it hard for God to get to us? Is it hard for God to get to the troubles of the world? The answer is yes, but, but God's relentless. God like, will come to you. God will find you, no matter how hard it is. The best line in the novel, The Shack, that kind of tried to play on the Trinity and create a fictional thing out of it and so on, is uh, this guy, Mac, uh, is talking to a man he discovers is Jesus out in the woods, and Jesus seems very open-minded indeed, and so Mac... Uh, ask Jesus. He says, does this mean that all roads lead to you? And Jesus responds and says, oh, not at all. Most roads don't lead anywhere at all, but there is no road I won't take to find you. Like, I love that. Some roads don't go anywhere, but there's no road that God won't take to find you. It is noon, the sixth hour, middle of the day, and Jesus is at a well. He's thirsty. That makes sense. And a woman comes. I, I love in the Bible there's so many one-on-one -on -one encounters. You would think Jesus, like he's Jesus, he should be speaking to 10,000 people. But most of the Gospels are consumed with he has one-on-one -on -one conversation, taking his time with just one person. He's got the press of Messiah things to go and do. But he always takes the time with just one person. He's always interruptible. Just one person always gets his attention. In this case, uh, he's a man, he's talking to a woman, and when the disciples see it, by the way, their minds go to a scurrilous dark place. They think, oh, it's a man talking to a woman. <laughs> Probably people in the city thought the same thing, oh, it's a man talking to a woman. The disciples do not yet understand what Jesus' agenda is about and what human life can be about. It's kind of sad. I read a commentary this week trying to get inside the head of this woman. She comes to the well at noon. There's a man that she does not know, and he says, can you give me something to drink? And the question this commentator asks is, did she think he was flirting with her? Right? Like, hey, have a drink? <laughs> What's flirting anyway? I thought about it this week. What is flirting? Like, it seems like a thing. Maybe flirting is just sort of a superficial veneer over a need that we have to, to connect, to be cared for, to be loved, to be in community. I don't know. Uh, Jesus talks to the woman, and this is another one of those dumb things about the Bible. So often in the Bible, a man's talking to a woman. We know the man's name. They do not supply us with the woman's name. Like, oh, it's the Bible. It just happens. My question is, did Jesus ask her her name? And I'll guarantee you Jesus did. That's the kind of guy that he was. I'm sure he asked her her name, and she told him, and he used her name when he spoke with her. He used her name. I want, to hear, I want you to hear with Jesus the pain in her voice. They begin talking, and she says, I have no husband the more of her story comes out, I've actually had five husbands, and the man I'm with now is not my husband. Yeah, they're always the uh, kind of morally judgmental people, and they take the tone of voice there as like, oh, she's had five husbands, and now she's with a man who's... I don't think that's Jesus' tone of voice at all. In fact, she's the one talking, and, and I, think that, I think that Jesus... Can you not hear the pain in her voice? I've had five husbands. Like, how did she lose them? Did some abandon her? Were some bereavements? Just in that one sentence, there's a lifetime of pain and sorrow. I've had five husbands. So painful. Why did she come to the well at noon? We know this from cultures all over the world. Uh, women back in the day, they would come to the well first thing in the morning or at the end of the day. One, that's when they needed the water. Two, it was cooler in the morning and in the evening, not in the heat of the day. Why did she come at noon? And maybe it's because she had grown weary of the other women in Samaria who, when they would see her, this one who'd had five husbands, can you imagine they would sigh? cutting glances or snide remarks. She just grew weary of that. She wanted to go to the well when she wouldn't have to deal with people. I talked to a church member recently. Woman, she was saying, I love church. She said, but I, I kind of hate to come because when I come, somebody's going to say, how are you doing? Where's your husband today? 
how are your children? She said, it's just too painful to have to make up something. She'd just rather not deal with people. So she comes at noon. She's a Samaritan, so in that world, that's, that's a reason to be decided. She's a Samaritan woman, that's a reason to be decided. She's a Samaritan woman who's had five husbands, that's more reason. So she is despised within the despised within the despised. I mean, three strikes against her, and, and the shock of the story, of course, is Jesus sees her, he hears her, he does not reprimand her, scold her, avert his gaze from her. He sees her. He cares for her. He stays. He keeps talking to her. It's a, uh, it's a spiritual uh, skill all of us are asked to develop. Well, if you've come to church for a lifetime, the skill you ought to develop is you learn how to look at other people and not pass judgment on them. You just see them. You listen to them. It's a beautiful thing. You know, these stories are in the Bible because there's something in it for us. And I think the, what's in it for us here is that whoever you are, Jesus looks at you and he sees you and he hears you and he has mercy for you. He cares about you. I did, by the way, last night, this is a little aside that's not in my notes, uh, on the way home from dinner, I did think of an exception to this. Like, Jesus looks at and loves everybody. I, I, I wonder if there's an exception. The exception I think I wanted to make last night are drivers in Charlotte. <laughs> uh, you know, those people, they think red means hurry up and get through the intersection. Anyway, so I think when Jesus sees this, he goes, ah, ah. And then he calms down, and he looks at the person and thinks, there's somebody who is tied up in anxiety and thinks they got to be somewhere, and they'll even imperil themselves to get there. I'm being silly about this. Uh, Jesus sees, Je Je this is so interesting. Jesus asked this woman for a drink. Uyan and I, we, we've been to this well. You can still visit it. There's a big church built on top of it. And uh, we went to that well, and we drank from it. And if you remember, the water was very cold. It was very delicious. It was just a moving experience to drink from that same well. I thought about it at the time. I thought, Jesus drank from this well, this water. <laughs> Jacob drank from this well, this water. The, the woman at the well drank from this well, this water. And what's interesting about the well, when we went in, there's a guy there who, who, who's manning the well, and he's got a crank with a rope on it, and he's got a bucket. And that well is 135 feet deep, and he's got a big bucket, so he lowers it. This takes a while and a lot of effort. He finally gets it down in there, and he hears the water coming into the bucket, and then that thing's full of water. It's heavy. Now he's cranking that thing back. I mean, this is a huge effort to get the water out of the well. Jesus, you would think he'd be, you know, like a macho gentleman and say, oh, honey, let me get the water for you. But instead, Jesus says to her, can you get me some water? It's so interesting. See, sometimes we, we whiff when we think about people that are in need or broken. We think, here's something that I will do for you. And a lot of times when we do for someone, they're already shamed and we add to their shame by assuming they can't do anything. They can't solve their problems. We will do something for you. Jesus empowers this woman. He trusts her by saying, can you give me something to drink? And Jesus is always doing that kind of thing. How do we empower other people? I've told some of you the story before. Mr. Rogers, you know, he used to have his TV show and all, and it was wonderful. There was, there was a boy that was afflicted with acute cerebral palsy, and uh, he, he was confined to a wheelchair, never interacted much, but his mother noticed that when Mr. Rogers would come on TV, he would just light up and he would get focused on the TV. So she wrote off to some foundation and applied for a grant that paid for Mr. Rogers to come visit her son. And so he came and he visited and talked with the boy for a while, and then he was getting ready to leave, and as he walked out, he took the boy's hand, and he said to the boy, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? There was a reporter named Tom Junod who was watching this, and after they left, the reporter said, wow, you were really very clever, asking that little boy to pray for you. Now, Mr. Rogers, never calculating, didn't really know what Tom Junod meant. 
he said, no, I really wanted him to pray for me. He said, I figure anyone who's gone through all that he's gone through in his life must be very close to God. He empowered a child that I'll pray for you, but could you pray? For me, it's so lovely. Uh, what's amazing is I think this whole time, I picture this woman, and I think her eyes are always looking down at the ground, always looking down at her feet, because she is, she's someone who's been shamed. She is ashamed. And Jesus is talking to her, and I suspect over the course of the conversation, when he does not run, he does not judge her, he stays, he even empowers her by asking for a drink, I think her eyes begin to lift. And pretty soon she is looking this person in the eye. And then what happens is she goes back into the village and she tells the people, there's this guy out here, he's amazing, you've got to come. And I wonder why they listened to her because you know that for all of her life they had not listened to her, they had averted their gaze, they had sighed when she would come, but in this case they listened to her. And I wonder, why did they listen to her then? Was there something different in her face? Like she had a confidence they'd never seen before. I wonder if her message to them was what they all were desperately thirsty for. Imagine those Samaritans are like you and me. They, get, they got caught up in their achievements and their work and their busyness and their diversions and maybe they self-medicated like people do and they wild away the time talking about innocuous things like, oh, Duke won the ACC tournament. Uh, I wasn't going to, that's just an example of, <laughs> it's not a, not a thing today. They're just, they're just people. They're busy, you know, the men are be, busy being great guys. I'm a great guy. He's a great guy. Yeah, everybody's cool. But, the, but she comes and she's got a different message, right? It's not, here's how to work hard. Here's how to achieve in the world. Here's how to be productive. Here's how to get distracted. Here's a good TV show you can binge on. Instead, she comes and she says, there was a man, he knew everything about me, and he stayed. <laughs> he saw me. He had mercy on me. And I bet you every person in Samaria thought, that's what I've always wanted and never knew where to find it. Didn't think I would ever find it had given up looking for it. It's such a beautiful thing. Jesus sees you. Jesus stays. Jesus listens to you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've got going on, you probably have stuff going on in you. You don't even know what's going on because you've pretended for so long that everything's fine, that you're just moving on. But Jesus sees. He knows what you carry. Jesus, this is so interesting, this woman is able to reconcile with her past. I don't know what's in your past. Some of you, the way you look and act, it's like your past has just been a field of lilies. It's all just been, oh, wonderful. Sometimes I ask you, tell me about your life. Oh, it's wonderful. I'm so happy for you. There are the rest of us in the world, though, when we look back on our past, there's something that really hurts. There's something that you just did something that was so dumb and you wish you could go back and take it back, but you can't take it back. There's someone you lost. There was some pain, some something in your past. What this story suggests is that God's keenly interested in what is past and God gathers it up and God redeems it and God heals it. <laughs> it's just a beautiful thing. It happens at noon, doesn't it? Right at noon, some of the day's passed. We know that, but there's a lot of the day ahead. It's not over. That's where God meets us. Past, redeemed, moving to the future with some hope. Here, here, here's, here's the last thing. Uh, noon. Uh, I noticed I did extensive study this week, and I, I made the just, this is a brilliant observation. Uh, that I'm about to share with you. Uh, John chapter 4 comes right after John chapter 3. Like, who knew? 
So I went back and read John chapter 3, and it's a story that doesn't happen at noon. It happens at night. It's dark. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and what does Jesus say to him? You must be born again. When you're born, right, you're in the dark of your mother's womb, and then you come out into the light. Now, this came into play the other day by somebody who wasn't talking about John or Jesus. <laughs> I gave the invocation at the YWCA fundraising lunch. And this dude named John Jackson, Dr. John Jackson, stood up and gave what may be the best talk I've ever heard in my life. And I've heard a lot of talks. I've given a lot of talks. It was amazing. And he said this thing that sounded like John chapter 3 and 4. By the way, this isn't in my notes, but I'll share this with you because I think we have time. He told this joke, and it kind of fits the sermon. So here's how it goes. Father goes in to put his son to bed, and he kisses him on the head and says, Good night. And his son says, Dad, could you get me a glass of water? And as no son, you know, you had time early in the day to get water. It's time to go to bed now. Good night. He walks to the door. As he gets to the door, his son says, Daddy? He says, what? He said, could you get me a glass of water? He says, son, we just talked about this, and you're not going to get a glass of water. And if you ask me again, I'm going to have to come back in here and spank you. Closes the door. Hears a voice from inside. Daddy? He waits. Here's the kid say, when you come back in here to spank me, could you bring me a glass of water? <laughs> that kind of fits the sermon, right? We're going after Jesus, what? Anyway, what he said was amazing. He said, now, when you're in the womb, he didn't mention Nicodemus or any of that. When you're in the womb, it's dark. But he said, the day you were born, you made the room. You just made a bunch of people stay. You were amazing. So here's what he said. He said, you were in the dark. He said, now you're in the light. He said, once you're in the light, be the light. Like, I love that. I'm going to use that in my sermon. Once you're out in the light, be the light. God asked us to be the light. It's a broken world out there. The world is full of Samaritan women and all kinds of people that are confused and broken and hurt. That's sort of the beauty of it all, the way God makes us right. Can you be the light? It's always the broken, wounded people, by the way, who manage to be the light. People think they've got it all figured out and everything's gone great. They're never really very helpful to people that are broken and wounded. The broken and wounded people, they're the ones who they know. They get it. They don't have to uh, pretend. Here's it's in closing. So interesting. Uyan and I got to drink the water out of that well, and it sounds like a really special thing that we got to do that. Here's what occurred to me this week, thinking scientifically. Every one of you have drunk water from that well, and you're thinking, I've never been near Israel. But here's how water actually works in the world. The water that is in our world has been all over the place at some point in time. <laughs> The rain we have today, these are not Mecklenburg County clouds. Raining Mecklenburg County drops on Mecklenburg County people to go into Mecklenburg County streams where there will be Mecklenburg County evaporation and the water just stays here. That water goes all over every cloud. You see, that water's been over Asia at some point. It's been in the Indian Ocean at some point. It's been in the Rhine River at some point. It's been in the bodies of various people. You're composed of so much water. The water raining on your head today, it's been, could some of that water have been in Jesus' body? When Jesus sighed and there was, did that, was has that water made its way around the world? Some of it made its way into Jesus. We have all drunk from that water. It is what holds us together. God's great gift to us. I don't know how you think about, I'm, you should have a more spiritually mature pastor. I just have to tell you, I get up on a day like this and it's raining and you know, I, I tend to do this like, oh, it's raining. People won't come to church. I won't get to ride my bike this afternoon. I'm so spiritually mature. I'm just so impressive. I want to grow up to be the kind of person that it's raining, and I think, wow, this is God's great gift. And that water's been all over the world, and it's what I share with everybody else who has ever lived, Jesus, everybody. It's just such a beautiful thing. I, I, I want to think about... You know, Isaiah chapter 40, which says, the rain comes down from God to water the earth and cause things to live and grow. And the same thing with God's word. It comes down to earth and doesn't return without doing its work. I want to think about Psalm 42. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. Think about the great... Water's just everywhere, and God wants us to think about God. <laughs> 
and see the great gift. Like, it's, it's raining. How, how good is that? You know, water came out of the spigot this morning. Like, it's a precious thing. You get thirsty, and, and you drink, and you're participating in the glory of God when you get to do that. You get in the shower, and it's, you know, one more baptism of forgiveness for you. There's just so much beauty and wonder. I want to try to think about that when I see a, a wave lapping on my feet at the ocean or a cloud, or maybe a rainbow even. <laughs> you know, Julian of Norwich, the great medieval mystic, wrote this, Jesus will be thirsty until the last soul is saved and joins him in his bliss. His thirst is to have us drawn to him. So my friends, I, I think it's in a beer ad. I should have looked it up before I came, but uh, be thirsty, my friends. Be thirsty. Friends, let's go to God in prayer together. Spirit of the living God, we gather in your house to worship, to praise you. We gather in your house because we thirst. We thirst for the everlasting living water. We trust in your love for your world and for your people, for us. In you, we encounter hope that persists through all things for all people. So we enable each of us to hear your calling in our lives, to grow into a person who humbly discern what to do in the light of your will and your desire for us to satisfy the thirst in others by sharing the good news of Jesus. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. May your grace be made real in us and through us, and may that grace persevere in all circumstances. We desire to, to love you, to love our neighbors, and to love ourselves as you love us, but we often fail. We do not see us, and we do not see our neighbors as you see your children, and we are often absent from the very places you would visit, guide our steps, O oh God, so that we can inhabit the spaces that you did and encounter the people that you met. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Despite your love, despite your goodness, despite your living water, your world and your children continue to face much suffering and pain in places in our lives, in our homes, in our city, in our nation, all around the world. May we pray and act as one people to bring about healing and justice for our neighbors and strangers throughout all the world to be the instrument of your goodness. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And now we take time to lift up and remember all of your children who have experienced great loss, those who suffer, those who lament. For all your children who grieve, be gracious unto them, O God, and in due time mend their broken hearts, redeem our broken lives. And it is because we trust in your presence in our lives, here and now, in all places, at all times, we are able to pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray as we pray in one voice. Our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, friends, we are reminded of God's continuous goodness as we journey onward in Lent that enables all of God's ministry in the life of our church. It is through God's goodness and our collective intentional generosity that empowers us to do the wonderful works of God here and beyond the walls of our church. As the ushers come forward, let us receive our morning tithes and offering.
loving and gracious God, we offer our gifts in thanksgiving for all the goodness you provide. Bless these gifts in our lives so that we become a source of goodness for others in the name of Christ, our strength and our hope. Amen. told you before, I love to watch you sing. I love it when you can sing by heart and when you sing from the heart. So thank you. Uh, you've made uh, my day and maybe my week, so I'm grateful. And now may the grace of our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us both now and forevermore. Amen.